You are listening to a Whitebridge Baptist Church sermon podcast. Well, today we conclude the messages uh, in 1 Samuel on the first half of David's life. And uh, we're going to be uh, beginning in 2 Samuel in the fall. Uh, and during the summer, we're going to be studying the, the, the little epistle of James in the last part of in the end of the New Testament. And um, Kevin did a great job last week, a remarkable job, uh, just concluding the series on 1 Samuel as he took a very difficult passage in chapter 28, especially in to 31 of 1 Samuel. And I think he did a brilliant job in helping us to uh, understand uh, the key emphasis of the text, as well as in the process kind of giving us a comparative study between Saul and David, whom obviously the author is wanting to do in the midst of writing for Samuel. He's wanting to, to give this contrast between David and Saul. And I love the way Kevin presented the governing principles that, that are in our lives, uh, a horizontal principle that is affected by what others think of you, how you perceive things, how you think you want to be perceived, and, and what, what, what you want in life, this horizontal governing principle that dictates how you do your life, or a vertical principle which is governed by what does God want of me, what does He say about my life, what is it that pleases Him and living by that governing principle. So you can, and you are, at any moment of any day or night, you are living by a governing principle that is horizontal, or you are living by a governing principle that is vertical. What Kevin said last week about David and Saul is absolutely true of each one of us. And uh, even as believers, we can succumb to living a horizontally oriented life instead of a God-saturated vertical life. And of the God orientation. It's sobering and very sad to see how that Saul ended his life, how he lived his life. That the trajectory of his life did not happen to change at the end of his life. Is that not why the writer of Ecclesiastes says, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth, before those other days come? Because it is, it, is, it is sadly less often that we see aged people change their trajectory. People who do parachurch ministry among youth tell us that 80% of those who come to Christ do so before the age of 18. Praise God for the 20% where His grace falls upon someone in their later years. I remember in Thunder Bay, I just thought of this this morning, I was asked by a woman who went to our church, First Baptist Church, Thunder Bay, to visit her husband who was dying in St. Joseph's Hospital right across the road from First Baptist Church. He was an atheist all his life and uh, prayed for him many times, talked to him never about the Lord. He, he would not uh, tolerate that. And so now, as he is literally assigned to a bed and unable to move and so on, this wife asked me to go and visit him in St. Joseph's Hospital. And I said, sure, I will do that. I went in. I remember going up the second floor. I, went, I remember walking into his room. And as soon as he saw me, he cursed me out of the room. 
literally cursed me out of the room. You see, it it is seldom that people change the trajectory of their life that they have spent 80 years living in. It is only by the grace of God, by a miraculous invasion, an invasive interruption of someone's life, that that's going to change. That's why this church has to invest in youth ministry. That's why this church has to support families in ministering to all ages of children. That's why this church has to be an equipping church. This morning's message is a very reflective pause between the first half of David's life and the second half of David's life. Maybe it's like this. If you're over 30, you might identify with this. It's like we used to, when we went to the movie theater, and if it was a long feature, you remember what they would do? They, they had to have two reels, not one reel. This is before the ages of digital. And so at the end, <clears throat> at the end of the first reel, it would come up on the screen. It didn't matter what the characters in the movie were doing. It would just all of a sudden, uh, you would read, end of reel one. <clears throat> Remember that? And, and then, and then the, the, the movie would stop, and the lights would come up, and you had this opportunity, just a few seconds maybe, but you had this opportunity to talk to your neighbor about the first half of the movie. <laughs> it was great. And then the lights would come down and reel two would begin. Well, that's what kind of today is. It's, it's the, the lights have come up the, and, and reel one of David's life is finished as we finished First Samuel last Sunday. And now reel two is about to begin in September as we study Second Samuel. And to, to understand a little bit more about uh, this interlude, I'm going to use various scripture, not just any one portion, but various scripture. And you're going to help me read these. And they read almost like a eulogy of David's life. Even though we're only at the midway point, we're going to read some scripture that is written after 2 Samuel that describes what David's life was looked back upon as a eulogy almost. And we're going to consider David just today for a moment. And so I'm going to have the... Rafa put up the responsive reading, and would you stand with me, and let's read responsively some of the scripture that we have in the Bible that eulogizes David's life. I will be the leader, and you can be the people. (laughs) The Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height. The Lord does not look at things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob of Israel, his inheritance. (laughs) 
Tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture and from following the flock to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. David said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged, for the Lord your God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Together. Praise be to the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone does marvelous deeds. Praise be to his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. This concludes the prayers of David, son of Jesse. You may be seated. As I suggested, maybe some of these scriptures read like a eulogy. To eulogize means literally to say a good word about someone. I attended the funeral of a missionary friend of Pat and I from years back. Uh, her name was Mary Mitchell. She died a week ago, and I went to her funeral this past week and heard much eulogizing about Mary Mitchell. She served in Istanbul, Turkey. She started a Bible school there, one of the first Bible studies in Istanbul among a group of people, and today there's several going on, and a Bible school that's planted. Uh, one of the eulogies that came by means of a letter said, a woman, a young woman said, I first met Jesus Christ in Mary's home and at her side as we studied the Bible together. What better word of eulogy could be given than something like that? Every funeral we attend, friends, every time we attend a memorial service, it should cause us to ponder our mortality. It should cause us to think about the shortness of our days and the eternal investment of our lives. Some of the monks of the Middle Ages would actually literally uh, put human skulls on the mantles of their places. And underneath in Latin, they had written memento mori, which means remember your death. Because they needed to live in the light of an imminent death. We're all terminal. We never know when. And, and we need to live in light of that eternity. And no one wants to do that, literally. I mean, we don't think about death. We want to push that off. But the wise do think about death. The wise do think about their mortality and the number of their days. David was wise and he thought about it. In Psalm 39 and verse 4, he said this, Show me, O Lord, my life's end. And the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. And then there's Moses who wrote a psalm in Psalm 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright. That we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know I cannot read that verse Psalm 90 verse 12. Without thinking of a, an old Welsh preacher named Keith Price. Who died now. Died in the year 2001 or 2 I believe. 
And uh, I had the privilege of getting to know Keith Price. He actually was mentored by A.W. Tozer at Avenue Road, Baptist, or Avenue Road Church in Toronto, Ontario. <laughs> Not Baptist, I don't think. And, uh, and uh, in 1982, I attended a preaching conference that Keith Price was sharing at. It profoundly affected me, profoundly influenced what I believe and practice about preaching today. And uh, years later, as I was a pastor at Thunder Bay in 1999, I invited Keith Price to come. He lived in British Columbia at the time, retired. And I invited him to come to Thunder Bay and have a week of meetings. And the meetings were simply focused on getting some refreshment in the word from a good preacher and, and just spending our time in the Lord's presence. He preached every noon hour and as many as could come to get away from their lunch hour, uh, you know, businesses and so on. They would come and they would just have a bag lunch and he would just teach the whole lunch hour. And then every evening we had an evening of, of a session and he would preach the word. And it was just a refreshing time in the Lord and in the word with Keith Price. And on the evening that he was getting ready to share about to the youth, he had a, a youth evening. On the evening that he was going to preach to the youth, he had uh, given us his agenda ahead of time. And the sermon title and text for that youth evening was Psalm 90, verse 12. Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. And he said that the title of his sermon was 25,568, the number. That was the title of his sermon, 25,568. Our youth pastor at the time, Chris Pahalchuk, took the opportunity to, to make up t-shirts. And so I have mine, it's kind of getting old now, but uh, so we made t-shirts up with 25,568 on it. And on the back, Psalm 90 verse 12, teach us to number our days. And of course, he had the attention of the youth and everybody, a whole, the worship team and a bunch of people, just like this morning with Love Winnipeg, everybody showed up with these t-shirts on. 25,568. People were guessing, what does that stand for? What does that mean? And the clue is in verse 10 of Psalm, verse, of Psalm 90, where it says, the number of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. And the number of days that are in 70 years are 25,568. And so he preached a sermon to the youth about the brevity of our days and the need to number them to gain a heart of wisdom. I was delighted to have Keith Price in the city that week. And so I, I asked him if he would have an afternoon free that I could come and visit him. So I went up to room 416. At the Landmark Inn in Thunder Bay. And I spent the whole afternoon with him. And we talked about preaching. And I still have in my journal the notes that I took from him that day. And uh, it was a blessing. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. 25,568. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. You know, I do that sometimes. I, I number my days. Today, I am 20,396 days old. 
I know I don't look a day over 20,000, but... <laughs> 20,396 days old. It's interesting. David was 70 years old when he died. David was 25,568 days old when he died. He numbered his days. And so he said before he died, Psalm 39, 4, Show me, O Lord, my life's and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. Not sure when he wrote those words. I think it might have been in the second half of his life when he understood things a little clearer about the brevity of life. We can understand David's life in three sections from zero birth to 17 years of age or so, which we know almost nothing about except that he grew up in the house of Jesse and was a shepherd boy. And then from the ages of 17 to 30, we know quite a bit because that's what we've been studying for the last several months as he was uh, anointed king of Israel at the age of 17 and then spent until age 30 until he actually took the crown and took the throne, I mean, and was, was given the kingdom. So between the ages of 17 and 30, he is, he is wandering, having to run from Saul because of, of uh, life-threatening issues. And then from 30 until 70, he is the king of Israel. But in thinking about what we've just studied, this was the season 17 to 30. Many of you today are in that bracket of space in your life, 17 to 30 years of age. This is when David killed Goliath. This is when David served in Saul's army. This is when David rose to prominence and became popular as a commander of many soldiers. This is when David was tested in his faith because he had to run from Saul and lose everything. This is when David also uh, ended up making some mistakes, wandering into Philistine country, thinking that maybe God no longer was going to fulfill his promise. This is when David lost his innocence, as Alf Bell shared with us a few weeks ago. The final season of David's life begins at age 30. And uh, he continued to grow in faith, but he also made some mistakes, as we're going to see in Second Samuel he sinned greatly against the Lord on a couple of occasions and faced the consequences of that sin. I find it interesting that David lived for 70 years. Most of them lived wisely. Some of them he regretted until the day he died. Have you ever lived a day that you regretted? Have you ever lived a day that you regretted? Yeah, we can, we can, we can acknowledge that. Things that we would take back. And yet, the thing that's interesting is that in all of the eulogizing, and we only looked at some of the scriptures, but all of the eulogizing of David after his death, nothing is said about the bad days. Interesting. The scriptures do not reminisce about the year and four months in the Philistine country. It does not go on to talk about Bathsheba and the sin there and other things. In fact, uh, Psalm 78 perhaps is, is a good summary of the eulogy for David. In Psalm 78, verse 70, which we read, He chose David his servant and took him from the sheep pens and tending the sheep. He brought him to be the shepherd of his people Israel, Jacob, uh, his inheritance. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hand. Charles Swindle says that that sums up David's life right there. Three stages. Three snapshots. I was sharing with the board and the staff this past week about uh, the three snapshots that we have of Abraham's life. You remember them in Hebrews, the chapter 11 in Hebrews tells us 
It's, it's really good to do this sometimes. It doesn't matter what age you live are right now. You could do this. You could look at your life and you could say, what would be the two or three key snapshots of your life? If you were to summarize your life, if someone else were to summarize your life, what would they be? What were the three snapshots? In Abraham's life, the first snapshot in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8, is by faith, uh, Abraham left his father's homeland and he followed God to the land that he would be shown. The second snapshot, a few verses later, the writer of Hebrews is saying that uh, is a promised child waiting and, and, and Abraham calls, God calls Abraham to wait instead of taking matters into his own hand. And, and though he's 99 years old, wait for this child to be born to Sarah next year. And then the third picture snapshot of, of Abraham's life is a few verses later in Hebrews 11. And it's the story of taking that son Isaac that had been born to them and going up to Mount Moriah where he would sacrifice him. And the trust factor there is to say, God, how are you going to provide? And even if I end up killing this, it says in the scriptures that he reasoned God can raise the dead. As we look at that, we see three types of faith at different seasons of life that God asked Abraham to live by. One was the get up and go faith. Leave your father's homeland. Go to the land that I will show you. The second one was the wait faith. Just wait. I know you're 75. Wait. I know you're 99. It'll happen next year. Wait. And the third one is, can you give the thing over that is most precious to you? And trust me, God says, to provide. I shared with the board and the staff that I think at different seasons of our church life, God asks us to demonstrate different kinds of faith. And part of the discernment process that we're praying through has to just simply be, God, what kind of faith right now do you require of us? Is it a get up and go faith? Is it a wait upon me expectantly faith? Or is it this sacrifice it up, give it over and wait for me to provide faith? I think I can share this story. Just yesterday, Pat told me that she had been talking with people from Thunder Bay from First Baptist Church where we pastored for 12 and a half years. And uh, church is dying. Down to 50, 60 people. Dying in numbers. Church decided to sell their building or give their building away. Corner of Algoma and, and Red River Road. They gave their building away to a young couple who have an incredible, incredible vision for ministry. Totally postmodern. Totally out of the box. Nothing traditional. But they see, the church sees the hand of God all over this. So a few months ago, I think, they they gave their building, they signed their building over. 
This couple has started ministry in this building. It looks nothing like regular church. And, and after they did that, one of the ministries that this little group of 50 people that are still carrying on has to do with a, a drop-in Wednesday night, just, just ministering to the street people around Thunder Bay downtown. This one, young, this one man gets saved. Gets saved. And he needs to go out west for a funeral. I'm looking at Pat because I want to make sure I get the details. Um, and, and he goes out west for this funeral. And uh, he doesn't have enough money, so the church takes up a collection and sends him. Hardly have enough money to pay their pastor, but they just gather more sacrificial money. They get him out there. They send him to this funeral. He gets out there and he finds out that he is inherited millions of dollars. He comes back and he says to the church, we need another building to meet in. And he buys a building. Right down on Bay Street. Right where it's happening. I mean, God's just, God's going to provide. Step out in faith. I tell you, when Pat shared that story with me yesterday, it blessed my heart. Because I, I was anticipating that I'd be hearing reports of this church disbanding and just kind of filling all the other churches of the city. But God's not done with that group of people yet, together. And they're starting to get a new vision for ministry. Praise the Lord, eh? I think that God has us at a place, and, and, and when you get the letter from the moderator, Dave, and from the board, you'll, you'll see that I think God has us at a place where we're standing on tiptoes and we're expectantly waiting upon His voice to speak. This is the way. Walk in it. It's soon. It's, I believe it's soon. I believe that God is leading us as a church. And there's things that He wants to put in place before we just jump in. And he's making us more of an equipping church. None of this is in my notes, but uh, <laughs> praise the Lord for, for the way that God leads his people. So David is 30 years of age. And David, David hears that Saul is dead. Now what is David going to do? Is David going to pack his bags and move back to Israel? And is he going to deal with Saul's family and slaughter them? Is he going to deal with any loyalists to Saul, the soldiers? What's he going to do? The Bible says in 2 Samuel chapter 2, verse 1, David inquired of the Lord. And so he inquires of the Lord. And, and uh, it's incredible that God deals with David in such a wonderful way. And David has now responded to God. He's learned some things. And Paul, the apostle, in speaking of David in Acts chapter 13, says, After removing Saul, he made David their king, testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Verse 36, And when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep, he was buried with his fathers, and his body decayed. David knew that was going to happen. He said in Psalm 103, verse 15, As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. Isn't that interesting? That's the fate of every one of us on earth. Its place remembers it no more. 
I mean, you'll get remembered by the kids and the grandkids, but beyond that, I don't know. I don't hear a lot of people talking about great-grandfather very intimately. It's place remembers it. No, that's okay. David says. Psalm 139, verse 16. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, David was okay with this. He, he understood the purpose of his life. He numbered his days. In Psalm 63, verse 1, he says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And I was reading about how that word earnestly in most translations has the idea of early do I seek you. The idea is getting up early to seek God. The Talmud, which is a bunch of rabbis that got together to try and interpret the best meaning of the text in the Jewish text, the Hebrew text. And the Talmud says this about, uh, about David. It says that a cithern, a cithern was an ancient guitar. A cithern used to hang above David's bed and when midnight came, the north wind would blow among the strings so that they sounded of themselves perhaps. And forthwith he arose, busied himself with the Torah, the law of Moses, until the pillar of dawn ascended, it says. And they presume that perhaps where they get such interpretation from is Psalms like 57.8 where David says, Awake! Harp and lyre, for I will awaken the dawn. David's disposition, David's governing principle, David's orientation was vertical. David's orientation was vertical. And the legacy of David's life was forged out of a governing principle that was Godward. He sought the Lord even when he sinned and failed. He would seek the Lord. And so his eulogy remembers the man and the man's heart. And, and it did not, did not go into life's failures. And David didn't allow life's failures and detours and sins and circumstances to define him. Because he was a man after God's own heart. And so his eulogy doesn't go into that stuff either. And when he had served God's purposes, he died. And what is remembered of David is the essence of his life, not the events. I find that very comforting. For that is the same as, as, as what will be remembered by you and I, of you and I. One day when people eulogize over us, it will be the essence of our lives that will linger on in the air of eulogy. And many of our failures and many of our events of our lives that we thought had to define us, we will realize they don't define us. Because you see, we live a vertical life. We live a God-oriented life. And what God is able to redeem, He redeems forever. Bless His name. Would you stand with me and would you join me as we conclude with prayer? And uh, let me lead us in prayer as we conclude the service. O oh Lord Jesus, we come to you, Son of David. We come to you because, Lord, uh, you, are, you are in perfected form everything that David longed to be. You are, Jesus, the man after God's own heart like no other man could be, not even David. 
And Lord Jesus, all of our eyes are upon you because in you we live and move and have our being. And, and any righteousness that is found in us is only an imputed righteousness from you to us. And any sin that you ever dealt with was an imputed sin from us to you. And you took it to the cross. And you died for it there. And you were resurrected new and, and pure and clean and without sin as you lived. And now in Christ, in you, Son of David, we can be people after your own heart. Lord God, would you help us to know that one day when all of life is past and we've breathed our last, that what will be remembered, O oh God, only matters if it glorifies you. It only matters if it points to you. It only matters if it's made an eternal investment. And Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name that you would seal this message upon our hearts now and each listener so that we might leave this place determined that we would have that vertical orientation permanently upon us. So be glorified in us, Lord. Dismiss us with your grace and peace, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God's people go in peace. Bless you.